Well, good morning. Here we are again, back in lockdown. So I can just peer at the camera up here in the balcony because um, there's nobody else downstairs. Um, so good morning to you. Uh, obviously, we're back in lockdown and there's a whole sort of complications to do with that. Um, but we will continue to do what we can do. I can continue to serve you as minister in the congregation all the ways I have been over these last months. And please do feel free at any time to contact me, either at the manse or when I'm here at the church, please do feel free to contact me by phone or by any other means. We're here to support each other, but also to serve our community through these challenging times. As we gather for worship, and we're thinking this morning of the book of Revelation. I'll explain in a few minutes why we're doing that. But these verses from Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, those in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know, and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they be thirsty. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a glorious picture of God in the midst of his people. Ransomed, healed and restored and forgiven. Worshipping the creator of all that is. And so we worship God together. We're going to begin by singing, or not singing, but listening to a song that's taken from this passage, Salvation Belongs to Our God. God, our Father, we thank you that as we gather together, we join with your church, not only throughout our nation, but throughout our world. And not only with the church here on earth, but with the saints who have gone before us and are in glory and with the angels and archangels as they join their voices in worship to you, the creator God, the one in whom there is salvation, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We thank you that we join together, although we're separate, especially at this now current lockdown, we thank you that we can join together in fellowship by the Holy Spirit and yes, by the wonder of technology. And yet we also come before you, and many of us anyway, are sad that we cannot join in person. We remember that when your word tells us and speaks of the church, it speaks of people who are called out and who gather together. 
And we long for that day, Lord, when we and indeed all the congregations of your people in our country and elsewhere in the world can join together in worship. But for this day and for this opportunity, we do give you thanks. And we thank you that whatever happens in our circumstances and whatever situations go on in our lives and round about us, you remain the same. You are the eternal God. ruling and reigning in majesty and might. And we gladly acknowledge that apart from Jesus, we would not be able to call upon you. And so we thank you that you sent your son into our world, that lamb of God who came to take away our sins, the one who gave his life as a ransom for many, the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. And the one who prayed that those who come in faith and trust would know that they are the dwelling place of the Spirit. O Holy Spirit, who comes to live within our lives. To make all these great and in many ways mysterious truths real. And an experience. And so for all your work, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, great Jehovah, three in one, we worship you. And we say sorry because we lose sight of all of that. We can easily become locked down in our mindsets and in our way of thinking. And Lord, we recognize that if you're, well, there's many things you're doing, but one of the things you're doing over these past months has been to shake us out of that mindset to open our minds to more of who you are and of your purposes in our world and your purposes for us, your people. And so we say sorry for losing sight of that. We ask for your forgiveness. For our sins are many and our need is great. And we ask, O Holy Spirit, that as we turn to hear your word together, you would feed our faiths faith and nourish our souls we pray we are mindful this morning particularly of those who would normally have been here those who can't access modern technology and who in many ways are now more isolated we do pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ in our fellowship we ask that you would minister to them and that those of us who will continue to be in contact with them would just be given the words to say and how to encourage them. And so we ask, as we ask a blessing upon these dear brothers and sisters, so we ask for you to take this service, however in many ways unreal it really is. Certainly as a minister I would have to testify how unreal it really is. But nonetheless in your goodness and mercy you would take this service as you would take various services like this again throughout our country and own it and use it. For your kingdom purposes we pray, all for the glory and honour of Jesus' name. Amen. I would hope anyway that we are not really in a sense surprised 
that we're now in the position we're in this present time. There's been plenty of um, suggestions over these past months, back in the autumn even, that things weren't all that good. And although we are very thankful that we have the vaccine, and that brings a great hope, and I know a number of us are waiting, especially the older members, are waiting to get their call or their letter to go. And by the way, if you do get that, and you don't have any transport, um, or you're not able or willing to travel the distance you might have in your own car, then again, do please feel free to contact myself, and we'll try and do what we can. We can actually... But ironic, you can't come here uh, into a service on a Sunday morning, but I and indeed other members of the church could come and help you <laughs> go and get your vaccine. Um, so if you do need that, please do let me know. But nonetheless, we've had plenty of warnings and suggestions. A member of our own congregation who does work for the National Health Service had been suggesting for some time that this could even be worse than the February time or the January-February period could be worse in terms of the spread of the virus. And, well, unfortunately, um, that has proved the case. I was reading a very interesting article in the paper just just last week, not this past week, but the week before, and a commentator, not somebody who I think is particularly a Christian, but the commentator was speaking about the fact that, of course, we shouldn't really be surprised, not just about what's happened over these past days, this period, this third lockdown, but really the whole story. I've said before, I say again, scientists and medical people have for a long time warned us that we were long overdue another global pandemic. And however awful this pandemic may be, I again would say to you, we should be thankful it's not as bad as it could be. It's not as deadly as it could be. Yes, 80,000 people have died. My friends, that could have been easily 800,000 or indeed 8 million. And so it's not as deadly as perhaps pandemics have been in the past. But nonetheless, we were warned it was due. And, and there's been plenty of evidence, again, the global village in which we stay and people travelling all over the world and thinking it's a right, actually, that you can just go here, there and everywhere, all of that. And so many other things, of course, have aggravated the problems we face. But in the article, as he went through a whole host of reasons why we shouldn't be surprised, interesting enough from someone who I wouldn't normally think was particularly religious or particularly Christian, he's certainly not usually said anything to make me think this, he made a reference to the four horses of the apocalypse and said, well, basically, um, we're told that we're going to have these things in the world. And that sowed a, a thought in my mind, and now in the light of what has happened, not I'm suggesting this is apocalypse as such, but nonetheless I think it's good for us to reflect on that. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, I've already read from chapter 7, or at least most of chapter 7, and that's important because it's part of the story, but we're going to read from Revelation chapter 6. And then, now we have that part in front of us, to explain a wee bit of the context of the book of Revelation. And I do understand some of us come from other ecclesiastical backgrounds and you'll have your own particular dispensationalist understanding or millennial understanding and everything else. As I said to a member of the congregation during the weekend, I was telling them I was going to speak from these passages. I'm speaking from a more reformed context and therefore uh, we don't see, and I don't see this as being a sort of detailed blueprint for the last days just before the rapture and oh, uh, everything else falls apart. Uh, my understanding, the reformed understanding of the book of Revelation is that first and foremost it was given to John on the island of Patmos while he was under house arrest. And John had that opportunity not only to give the letters to the seven churches, and we've looked at them in the past from the first three chapters of Revelation, but also to have that insight given to him. Revelation chapter 4 we read in verse 1, after this I looked, this is John saying, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, 
Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. And he goes on to talk about the throne in heaven and, and of the reality of the living God. And John here is seeing a glimpse, a glimpse through a door into the reality that exists around everything that we see about it. You see, my friends, and so many of us as Christians, again, particularly living in our Western, materialistic-based culture, we think all there is is what we can see, or touch, or hear from, or, 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 or somehow embrace in a physical way. But the Bible, of course, tells us that there is a greater reality, an eternal reality that exists all around. In the same way as I'm standing here and I'm speaking and through the modern wonders of technology, my words and my appearance get beamed out to different places, not just in our own country, but I believe in different parts of the world even, if you're so inclined. So there is that unseen but powerful reality of God by his spirit present, not just here on this little planet, but throughout the vastness of the universe. Paul tells us, of course, verses I've often repeated, there are battles not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this present age, reminding us that behind all that we see, behind all that we read, behind all that we encounter in human history, there is a spiritual reality. And John has a glimpse into that spiritual reality. He has a glimpse into the throne room of heaven in chapter 4. And at the end of that chapter, we read of the living creatures giving glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And of course, the book of Revelation has given plenty of, um, score, of opportunity for hymn writers and songwriters to take the words and use them. And then in chapter 5, John then goes on. The story opens up that the throne room of heaven, heaven is opened up, and we read that he hears a mighty voice in verse 2 of chapter 5 proclaiming, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And again, there's a song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be kingdoms, a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. They see Jesus. John sees Jesus, the glory of the Father on the throne, 
And at his right side, Jesus Christ exalted the lamb who appeared as if he had been slain. And he holds the scroll of human history. I've said that so often to you that you should know the script even by now of that story. And so, in chapter 6, we read, and we're going to read the passage. Six, chapter 6 and verse 1. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. His rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. His rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living, fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades, and he was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And amen, and we'll pause there. And so here is John seeing through this door in heaven with that invitation. Notice that invitation to come. We are meant to engage with these things, to understand these things, to have at least some insight into the spiritual realities that are going on around the, the events we see and the experiences of our world and the history of our world. So that invitation to come. And what does he see? Well, he sees the Lamb opening up the seals. I looked and there before me was a white horse its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest now the book of revelation uses pictures constantly uses pictures to present truths truths that are perhaps hard for us to take in and to understand they are allegorical pictures they they are ways that he would be able to comprehend in many ways truths and experiences that are beyond comprehension and so sometimes it's helpful to be able to flick back and forward and to see different connections. And so the reference here to a white horse and its rider holding a bow and giving a crown and riding out as a conqueror will draw, can draw your attention to these verses from Revelation chapter 19, where again John sees heaven standing open in verse 11, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's always easy and tempting 
when things are a bit chaotic and complicated, whether in our own lives or whether in the life of our nation or of our world. And let's be honest, there's plenty of things which are pretty chaotic and concerning in our wider world. We only need to look at what happened this past week in the United States and the frustration and the anger that has been stirred up there. And it's very easy for us to look at these things and think that somehow the world is out of control. The events are happening, spiraling out of control. And yet this opening picture of this horse with one riding on it, given a crown, is at least meant to help us, at least initially, to remember that there is one who is in control. And that one is Jesus Christ. Remember the words of Jesus himself at the very end of his earthly ministry. All authority in heaven on an earth has been given to me. His sovereign purposes are being worked out even through the most awful and disastrous circumstances in history and indeed in our lives. He holds the scroll. He opens the seals. Now, of course, that raises many questions, and I've hinted at that in sermons we looked at before Christmas. There is a great mystery to the purposes of God. And if anyone ever comes along and tells us, tells you, for instance, that they understand fully the book of Revelation, and they understand fully the purposes of God, well, they either should be taken to a mental asylum, or they are, well, they've lost the plot. There is a mystery about all of that. And we know that, and we've experienced that, many of us, in our own lives. But nonetheless, as people of faith who, like Abraham, looked around and saw very little sign that the promises of God were going to be fulfilled, and yet in faith believed God, and therefore was credited to him as righteousness, so the people of God today, although there may be much round about us that would seem to suggest that the world is out of control, and the evil men do seem to prosper, and a whole host of other things going on, we too nonetheless have to affirm that there is one riding on a horse who is sovereign over all that takes place and he is the ultimate conqueror he is the ultimate one bent on conquest every knee will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Paul talks about that victory procession using the imagery of Rome that victory procession in 2 Corinthians where his people will be brought and, and brought through as a victory procession and for many, that will be a victory of celebration. For believers, it will be a victory of celebration. But for others, it will be being taken off into chains, and as the book of Revelation tells us, being put into that bottomless pit for all eternity. But he will be the victor, wearing the victor crown. But it also tells us, these opening verses, that of course that struggle for power, that struggle for control, that struggle to have authority over people and over things in our world is part of human history. That's the story of history. That constant battle to be one up, whether that's in the office, over somebody you work beside, or whether that's been in global politics. The desire to be in charge, to be a conqueror, that too is built into human history because actually it points to the one who supremely is in control and who supremely is the conqueror. And therefore we should not be surprised when that spirit of desire to be a conqueror is seen both domestically, locally, nationally, and in global history. It's part of the story. We should not be surprised. And then notice when the Lamb opens the second seal, 
I hear, I heard the second living creature say, come, again, an invitation to engage with this and to think about it. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Now, I've been in this job long enough. And I have to confess, over these last ten months, sometimes I think there'll be too long um, in this job long enough. I remember when the Berlin Wall fell down. I should remember anyway, because Colin was born just at this time. And I remember all the talk at that time when, when the Soviet Union collapsed and when there was a whole change in global dynamics and there was a, a talk that this was peace, not just in our time, but a, a new order for the world. Mind you, not long after that, we had the carry-on in Kuwait and then the war in Iraq and everything else. And I remember even then as a young man <laughs> preaching from the Gospels where Jesus warns us against those who will come and say, peace, peace, for there will be no peace. And how sad it is, again, as Christians, and especially sometimes I listen to prayers of Christian leaders, or at least people who profess to be Christian leaders, on television or on the radio, and they use the word, indeed, indeed, ministers perhaps not very far from this church, who use the word and continually talk about our desire for peace. Well, of course, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we are called to be peacemakers in our domestic environments, in our local situation. Again, there is a practical outworking of this in our immediate circumstances. But, but, there is a horse riding through the world. It is a fiery red one. And it has the power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And the events since 1989, since 1990, the events of the last generation, the last 30 years, certainly, surely must tell us that however much we hope for peace, however much we work for peace, however much rightly our desire is that men and women should live in harmony together, that will not happen here on earth until the Prince of Peace comes and comes as a conqueror and deals with the very forces that go against a time of peace. It's part of life. It's part of history. It's the way things are. And to think otherwise is to live in cloud cuckoo land. And then we read, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. The horse of conquest, the horse of strife. And here we read of the horse of scarcity, economic instability, of gross inequality. Notice that's quite brought out. There's extortionate prices for wheat and for wages and yet you also notice a person saying don't damage the oil and the wine. Don't damage you know, my marketplace, the things that I like and the things that I'm prospering from. And again, and I'm sorry, it's like stuck in a groove and I appreciate that, but again, this notion that we can continually prosper, well, of course, perhaps for periods we can continually prosper as the West, we have done for a long time, 
At what cost to the rest of the world? At what cost to the rest of the world? Creation groaning, gross inequalities. And particularly to Christians, particularly to Christians of a younger generation who were brought up in an era of the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s where everything seemed to be going well. It's perhaps hard for us to believe and to realize that the house that we bought, that the nice things that we have, that the security that we thought that we secured through a job and through money and everything else is built on a very shaky foundation. And again, our nation with untold levels of debt. I was saying to one of the younger people in our church this, just this past week in our 30s, do you or your husband want to pay 50% income tax rates? You may well have to. Certainly getting far more than we do already. And how will you fold your mortgage? How will you keep up your continental holidays? How will you do all the things, the nice clothes and everything else? The truth of the matter is you won't. That's built into human history. Times of prosperity are always at the cost of someone else. Inequalities cannot be ignored. And we certainly as a church have seen over these past months how many have suffered this virus, this impact of this COVID-19 has simply exacerbated and opened up and revealed more obviously the gross discrepancies even within our own community. And the self-interest, do not damage the oil and the wine. You know, as long as I'm okay, all part of the judgments of God being worked out in our world. And as believers, we are to come and we're to see and we're to seriously reflect on what that means for our life and our lifestyle, our values and our behavior. And that's a challenge to many of us within our own congregation. And then verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. His rider was named Death and Hades, and it was following close behind him. They were given power over forth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And here we have, of course, the ultimate reality. Yes, there's economic instability and inequality and insecurity in all of that. There is a constant battling for power and authority and control and that in itself engenders a spirit of war and of strife, taking peace from the air. And ultimately, of course, there is the reality of death. You know, one of the biggest problems, in a sense, God is telling us that as a nation. You know, many of us, I'm afraid to say, somehow think that the National Health Service's job is to somehow do away with death. Well, it can't, and it won't, and there's 80-odd thousand people there to tell us that. It's a reality of life. And as Christians, a right understanding, and this is not time this morning to go into all that, but a right understanding of life and of death should therefore impact on how we understand, yes, even how this present crisis is dealt with. It's a reality of life. Interesting enough, a fourth of the earth, we're told, 
later on in the book of Revelation, the beginning of the book of Revelation, rather the beginning of chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, we have, we have angels been given the job of holding back some things. Verse 3 of chapter 7, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And, and they hold back the four winds of the earth. And again, that's picture language, again, reminding us of the words of Jesus, that in these latter days, and we've been living in the latter days since Jesus ascended into heaven, in these latter days, if God, by his sovereign power, did not hold back the forces of death in the world, then there would be plagues of 8, 10 billion people, not 80,000. And it's only because of his sovereign mercy, holding back these powers at work, because ultimately he has authority over them. That we're not all blighted and killed by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And notice how that covers everything that goes on in the world. And so, perhaps rather challengingly, the writer, the commentator in the Times was spot on. We should not be surprised. For here we have an insight into the real realities of history and of time and of the powers that are at work. And well, that does not mean we don't work for peace in our environments. Well, that certainly does not mean that we don't care for the poor, although Jesus made it clear we will always have the poor, precisely because of what we read here. Well, that certainly does mean we have to look at our own lifestyle and our values and what we think is important in life. And again, the whole of the Bible challenges us about that. It certainly should impact how we view death. Not as a disaster, but simply as part of life. And at the end of the day, no human power, no human resource can achieve a deathless world. Apart from anything else, the book of Genesis makes it clear that the fall and the rebellion of humanity, the very first thing it did was bring death into the world. Let me read on. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testament they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each one of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of the fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. The fifth seal, we're not going to overly dwell upon that, although that's a vital truth. Notice it's about the persecuted believers. And again, this passage is so important, actually. This passage reminds us that as Christians living here again in the West, we've had it very comfortable on the whole, financially, in terms of our lifestyle, in terms of having cures for various ills that would have killed us in the past, and all the rest of it, living in peace for 75 years since the last World War, all of that, but it's been good over the many years as a church, we've remembered that for many believers, that's not the case. All of these other things have impacted them far more severely than it's impacted us, and that they have paid the ultimate price as martyrs for the faith. Persecution should actually be the norm amongst 
believers and in the church. Jesus made that clear. Again to the disciples. If you're my followers and they treated me the way that they did, then you should not be surprised that they will do the same and perhaps in one sense in a human experience wise, even worse to you. To take up our cross and follow Jesus is to go the way where persecution of one kind or another is part and parcel of the believer. That's why the church in the West is so pathetically poor spiritually. Because we've not had or we're not open to the possibility that that involves us. We see our faith as something which goes along with accoutrements of life. Something to make us feel better. Something to make us happier. Something to make us more secure. Well, the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, is often very different. And I have no doubt over the years that lie ahead, many younger people, again, will have to face the consequence of that in public life, in business life, and in the life of the church. Yes, the state has decreed certain things about what the church can or cannot do at this time of national crisis. But once it gets a taste for doing that, history tells us, it can and will use that power again in less acceptable circumstances. And again, we've spoken about that in the past. And so here is the persecuted church crying out to God, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Well, pressing on very quickly because time is going. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, verse 12, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars and the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who can withstand it? And this is the first of three or perhaps four times in the book of Revelation in a cyclical way using different picture language to explain this is the insight as to where history is heading. And to that day when God will come in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to judge the living and the dead. And notice how overwhelming from the kings of the earth to the slave and the free, to those who are without hope, they hide in the caves and among the rocks and cry, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That final judgment, that too is part of history, part of our story, part of life. But it's also meant this morning as we close to challenge us not to harden our hearts or turn the deaf ear to what God may be saying to us in our more immediate circumstances. The writer of the book of Hebrews, alluding to exactly the same scenario of that day of judgment and of the power of God and everything else, says to us in Hebrews 12 and verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. This is the day of the Lord. I remember some months ago in the bell tower, ringing the bell, and then afterwards inviting people to take the opportunity as they were available to come and to, to access things, the fellowship groups and the opportunities like this, while they were available, while there was the opportunity. Because I said then, that was back in what, November perhaps, October, I said then, because we don't know how long this opportunity will last. Well, because it's not lasting. For a season. We trust for a short season. But the day will come when all opportunities will end. When the trumpet of the Lord will sound. When he will come in might to judge the living and the dead. And nothing, my friends, however good you may think you are, however much you've clothed yourselves in the passing things of this world, whatever appearance you might present, nothing will spare us from the judgment of the Lord. Everything that's unseen will be seen and revealed. Unless, of course, we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember Revelation 7? Who are these people? They were standing, worshipping. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So I appeal to you this morning, however long you're a member of this church, however righteous you may appear to everybody else, including to me, but if in your heart you're not right with God, then get clothed with the righteousness of Christ because that and that alone will protect you from the coming judgment. Not your mortgage, not your status, not your wealth, not your appearance, not all the trappings of security that you might think you have, that will disappear. Either in death or when he comes. Whatever happens first. And only that clothing of the righteousness of Jesus will protect us. Solemn words. We must not, as the writer of the Hebrews tells us, harden our hearts, turn the deaf ear, close our eyes. The invitation is to come and see. We need a reality check, my friends. The church in the West needs a reality check in so many ways. And many of us, with respect and with love, need a reality check. We've got challenging days that lie in front of us once this vaccine comes and the um, the pandemic hopefully eases off, we'll have to start rebuilding this congregation. It's going to be challenging. Certainly not something, humanly speaking, at 60, I would particularly have signed up for, but I'm here, and so are you. And God calls us to rebuild his kingdom. But we need to come, and we need to see, and we need to understand fast, and refocus on the one who alone is worthy and holds the seal and the scroll in his hands. Let's hear a song that speaks of that now. And perhaps not at this moment, it might not be suitable or convenient, but at some point today I would invite you to get down on your knees and to acknowledge God as Lord. 
To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So we turn our hearts to you and we ask for your mercy. We say that we are sorry. We lay aside all the clothing, and I don't mean necessarily we strip naked in our houses, but we strip aside the clothing of the things that we have looked to for security and comfort, recognizing that they have been bought often at the price of others in our world and their injustice and lack. Also because we've turned to them and sought and found in them often our hope and our help. God is stripping that away. And humbling our hearts. And turning our eyes to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, he who is worthy to hold the scroll and to open the seals. And so we offer your worship we say again, sorry for our, our idolatry, for ultimately that's what it is, worshipping other things rather than the Creator. And we ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would come afresh amongst us. That opening song we sang or we heard spoke of salvation belonging to our God. And the second verse says, And we the redeemed shall be strong in purpose and unity, declaring aloud praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and glory and strength. The verses from the book of Leviticus we referred to the other week spoke about God's people holding their heads high because of their confidence in God. So by your spirit in these days revive and renew your church we pray and just for this final moment come before the Lord yourself open your hearts let your ears be unstopped and hear his voice And now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And the people of God said, Amen.